0: through history that help us to understand what it was like to live in a time before our own, right? There are these phrases that help us to short circuit our thinking and and help us to get right into the mindset of our ancestors and help us to understand uh, our forefathers and our foremothers and what they uh, were thinking and the mood and emotion of the time. And an example to help you understand, get you into thinking of what kind of phrase this is, um, is this. It's a quote. I have a dream that one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as brothers and sisters. Now, when, when you hear that phrase, there's probably immediately a, a black and white image that comes in, into your mind of Dr. King giving this speech to hundreds and thousands of people on the on the National Mall in Washington DC. That probably for a lot of us it's it's a it's an instant flashback. We understand that that he was painting a picture uh, in, in that moment. We understand the social upheaval that was going on at that time. We understand that he's painting a picture of what life is like now, the the segregation, the institutionalized racism, what needs to change and then what life would be like if his dream came true. And I love phrases like that that, that in, encapsulate a whole narrative. They, they help us digest these big concepts and help us to remember um, what is most important about what we need to remember. And I love anything. I'm the kind of guy, I'm a fan of things that help us a shortcut uh, our thinking any time we can take a phrase uh, that's this tweet size and and use that rather than having to remember every detail of the story, and so uh, we doubled down on this concept in church uh, on a weekly basis, uh, and we just participated in this concept a little bit, and you you probably were singing along because you know you know the words to these Christmas songs really well. Um, Songs are powerful in that way, right? They have a way of taking big theological concepts and stories of of epicness from the Bible and crunching them down and making them easily digestible, making them portable, making them sticky. And when you're a communicator or a preacher or a teacher, that's what you want to do. That's the goal, right? You want your ideas to carry on with with the with the audience out of the door and so today you probably are not going to be quoting me I'm not that quotable guy like Pastor Nathan you're not going to be tweeting anything that I say but odds are later today you'll you'll walk out of here humming the tune that Zach was just singing or you'll remember one of these Christmas songs that we sang today and the message will stick with you. And that's the power of music. That's the power of singing. These things are sticky. They're portable. And in Luke chapter 1, the gospel writer, uh, Dr. Luke, records one of the first Christian songs uh, ever written. It's written by a lady named Mary, and a pretty famous gal. And she writes a song that we're going to talk about. But if you know me if you hang out with me and and we talk about music and we're we're drinking coffee or whatever I'm I'm going to nerd out okay we're going to go into the counterpoint we're going to go into the extended harmonies we're going to talk about what meter and and rhythm is going on and and we're going to really break down and and analyze a song that's that's just me I, I like to study music in that way and so I, I don't think that, that's the right approach this morning, so we're not going to do that. It's like someone said about comedy once that you can dissect a frog and you can dissect a joke, but they, they both die in the process. So hopefully, you know, I don't want to kill anybody or, you know, just kill your vibe. I don't want to do that this morning. I want us to uh, get this because I think there's something important that this song helps us to remember. And in, instead of doing an analysis of the song Maybe we're gonna do well. Not, not maybe. This is what we're gonna do because this is what I wrote down on the paper. <laughs> we're going to do the VH1 Behind the Music version of of Mary's song. All right. If you've ever seen VH1 Behind the Music, you know that it starts out always with the small town that the artist grew up in. Right. Uh, has anybody anybody seen that show? Um, the the one about Britney Spears. You know, she grew up in the small town of Louisiana. You know, uh, I've seen the one about T-Pain. He's from Tallahassee, Florida. I think I remember that right. Uh, Kid Rock from Detroit. Uh, so you get the idea of these cities and these places help shape the artist that we come to know them as. And for our artist in question today, we're talking about a small town in, in the Middle East in Palestine. The town is called Nazareth. So if you go way out in the boondocks, you take a left into the hinterlands and go for about another 100 miles, that'll take you right into the middle of nowhere. And a little bit beyond that is Nazareth. It's, it's the kind of town that people, even in the Bible, make fun of. They like to to poke a little fun at us. Kind of the butt of all jokes, right? And it's, it's just a backwater town. Nobody expects anything From Nazareth. But that's where the gospel writer, Dr. Luke, picks us up and introduces us to Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, this is what Luke tells us about Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative in her old age has also conceived. Your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her wow that is a whirlwind right there okay we get a little bit of context on mary who she is where she's from what phase of life she's in uh we know she's from nazareth we know she's a small town girl living in a lonely world i had to do that um yeah somebody asked me if i was going to do i didn't do that in the first service i thought i'd throw that in that's free for you guys um and so she's, she's engaged to this guy named Joseph. And so that's all the context we really get for, for Mary. Um, and then the angel delivers this message that she's the favored one. Small town girl, you're, you're the favored one. You're going to be a mom. You're going to have a son. So you can skip the sonogram uh he's going to be kind of a big deal and you're going to be famous you're going to be thrust into the middle of of history uh because of your son pretty exciting and 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 uh encouraging on this side of the page right when we're reading that we're like great jesus is coming because we know the end of the story right we know the end of the story but mary doesn't know the whole thing's not explained and laid out to her, finished to start, start to finish here. Um, so, so for Mary, the implications of this message would have been troubling. And it says her response was to be, to be troubled. Think about the implications for Mary, okay? We know she's growing up in a small town, Palestine, the Middle East. Think about the implications of being a single mom, this baby did not come from the man that you are engaged to be married to. So what, what's going to happen? People are going to start talking. There's going to be rumors. There's going to be doubt. Uh, and then on top of all that, you've got to explain this to your fiance that I'm having a son and it's, he's not yours. How are you going to do that? And in the Middle East, it's, uh, there's even honor associated with this, and, and there can be some pretty dire consequences for even uh, the hint of impropriety. And so how do you, how, if we're putting ourselves in the shoes of Mary, if we're going to walk around as her today, how do you respond when life drops a bag of bricks on your head, when there's this, this curveball out of nowhere? You didn't plan this. This wasn't your ideal. This isn't something that you brought about by any actions or, or, or idea that you had. This is out of nowhere. How do, we, how do you respond in a situation like that? Well, as I have tried to put myself in Mary's shoes over the last couple of weeks thinking about this, I can't imagine myself quite having the response that she does What does scripture say about it? Immediately it says that she was she was troubled okay somebody's showing up and telling you all about your life that's that's going to be a little bit troubling but then the very next word that's used to describe Mary's response is she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. Discernment indicates wisdom Discernment indicates that she was very engaged with the conversation that's going on. She was lucid. This wasn't throwing her for a loop. Yes, she was troubled. She was trying to understand what sort of uh, message was coming to her. So her, her response is, is to try to understand. I think we, we, we see that borne out in her responses, okay? She, she asks a valid question. How 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 am I gonna have a baby? Because I haven't done what it takes to make that happen. And and the angel gives her a response. Mary, the God you serve, nothing's impossible for him. And and she trusts, ultimately her response is to trust the message of the angel. She has a deliberate and faithful response. I've just been trying to understand. How is it that Mary can can respond in this way, when when everything around her is up in upheaval? It's it's been disrupted. Her life has totally been disrupted. And how how can she respond with faith and wisdom like this? Well, I don't know if at this point in the story we have enough evidence to say one way or another how she was able to respond like this. But maybe if we are introduced to one of Mary's relatives, we can kind of understand and, and get a little better picture. I want us to, to compare and contrast a little bit Mary's response in her situation with her uncle Zachariah in a very similar situation. Uh, and then and earlier in Luke chapter 1, we're introduced to Uncle Zachariah, Mary's uncle in a, in a town just south of, um, of Nazareth. And this is how uh, Luke introduces Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Verse uh, 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were now advanced in years. So that's the context that we get for for Zachariah. He's introduced as, he's a priest, he's a religious elite. uh, He's righteous, he serves his community and he serves his God well. And we also know that he's, desires to have a child because he and his wife are barren now here's the situation in, in Luke cha- or verse 11 chapter 1 verse 11 it says and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and Zachariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zachariah for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time all right Zechariah also got a message from an angel right here's the message Zechariah, your prayers have been answered buddy god has heard your prayers He's heard what you've been asking for. You and your wife, Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, and he's going to be great. He's going to serve God, and he's going to serve his nation well. He's going to do great things. You're blessed. God has answered your prayer. But what's Zachariah's response to the message of the angel? Now, remember, comparing with, with uh, Mary here, what does it say immediately? That he was he was troubled, right? That's okay. We're saying that's okay. Uh, but he succumbed to fear. It says that fear fell upon him. And he went from not just fear, but then he went to doubt. He asked the question, how will I know this? How will I know that what I've been praying for, what I've been desiring, what I've been asking God for, for many years... Is true how will I know that and the angel's response well it's it's the ancient version of a sternly worded email I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those but the angel's response is hey I'm Gabriel I'm the messenger of God you know that guy you've been praying to that's supposed to uh, hear your, your cry and, and provide for you? Were, were you at Revo when they preached about Abraham and Sarah in the Unseen series about faith? Don't you remember Genesis chapter 1 or, or Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham and Sarah, y- you've read that story, right? They, they were old. They didn't have kids. They wanted kids, and God promised and provided for them a kid. Don't you know that's the God you're praying to? Don't you know that he did it before and he can do it again? That's kind of the, the the subtext, if you will, of, of the angel's response, sternly worded there. But the, what's the difference in Mary's response and Zechariah's response to a very similar situation? It's faith. See, Mary trusts the angel who tells her that the God she serves, with him nothing will be impossible. But Zechariah doubts the angel who tells him that your prayers have been answered it's amazing zachariah the the guy who's described as he has it all together he's he's righteous he's upright he's a he's the preacher like he's the he's he's a big deal but married this lowly servant girl this lowly uh small town girl just chooses to trust god and she puts her faith in in his message but there's more to faith than just trust, right? We've, we've just been studying faith here at Revo for the last several weeks, and uh, th- faith requires our action, right? We we, we want to believe that what God has told us is true, and then we want to act on it as reality. Now, the action is this. Like every episode of, of Behind the Music, there's the part where, you know, We've been making music for a while and now. It's time for the artist to to break out and go into a big, the bigger market and have your big break. And this is kind of what kind of what Mary does. She she doesn't keep her act in her hometown, but she goes and she chooses to share her story uh, with her aunt Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up in uh, Luke one, uh, verse thirty nine and forty. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted elizabeth and mary chose to share her story and her struggle with aunt elizabeth and who who we choose to share our stories and our struggles with that can really hurt us or help us because uh, we we need people Uh, to share our story with we need people and that's that's what we try to facilitate at Revo on a weekly basis of of small groups coming together and doing life together sharing hey this is what God's doing in my life this is where I need help Uh, this is what he's showing me Uh, that happens on a week-to-week basis Revo is a church of small groups of communities and then we get together on Sunday and we celebrate that we celebrate what God's doing and we help each other along the way. But Mary chooses to share her story out of anybody that she could have shared it with. She chooses to do. Community. She chooses to do life with her godly Aunt Elizabeth, someone who she knows that the angel has said God's working in her life, God has promised her a son, and she is going to be pregnant with, with John the Baptist. And Mary, Mary knows this, so she chooses to share her life and her story and her struggle with someone that she knows can help her. Check out what happens when two women who have put their faith and trust in God and who are experiencing his promises and his grace in their life. Check out what happens when when these uh, folks get together here. Verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary and Elizabeth get together and there's almost like a catalytic reaction of of two people who are are working together uh, with God, there's it's like a spontaneous uh, combustion that happens when Mary and Elizabeth get together. Um, see, their their worship is is spontaneous, but it's not random. Okay, it's 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 a it's a result of something that's going on internally in their lives and externally. So. I don't know, you know, if you've ever heard an an interview with a songwriter, but um, they'll they'll talk about the songwriting process a lot of times, and the really good ones will tell you that songs don't come from nowhere. They don't just kind of materialize out of thin air. It's it's a process of writing and composing and editing. And the really prolific songwriters will write something every day. You'll write a, a lyric or a verse or uh, an entire song or more every day. And one of the most prolific American songwriters, a guy named Leonard Cohen, he wrote a song that's been covered probably more than any other song in the last 15 to 20 years. Um, and it's been covered by everybody from Bob Dylan to John Bon Jovi to uh, it was in the Shrek movies. If that kind of gives some credibility right there as an artist, uh, and and so it's it's like one of the the greatest songs to be covered in the last 20 years. But when he tells the story of how uh, how he wrote the song, he says that he struggled with it for years. He wrote 80 different versions, at least 80 different versions, to the point where he was just beating it, literally beating his head against the wall, trying to figure out these lyrics and chords and make it all go together. And he made something really great, but he, was, he worked on it for a long time. The song is called Hallelujah. And if you have a favorite artist, uh, current favorite artist, they've probably covered it. You can probably YouTube them singing, covering this song. Uh, it's been covered by indie artists, opera singers, and everybody in between. But the song didn't come from nowhere. And our worship doesn't come from nowhere. Our singing doesn't come from nowhere. Mary and Elizabeth's worship was spontaneous and it was emotional, but it wasn't from nothing. It didn't come out of nowhere. Their worship comes from an experience of what God is doing in their lives. Mary's song isn't theoretical but it's a reality of what's going on in her heart. So let's look at her song as, we, as I promised. Verse 46, and Mary said, "'My soul magnifies the Lord, "'and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior.'" For he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary's song is experiential, right? It's what's going on inside of her. It's what's going on in her and around her and through her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is, this is reality. This isn't theoretical. This isn't something she heard said at church or read in a book or read on a blog. This is what God is doing in her. She's responding to God for who he is and what he has done for her and through her. Look at, look at the words that she uses to describe God. In verse 46, she calls him Lord. Verse 47, she calls him Savior. Verse 49, he's mighty and holy. Verse 50, he's merciful. Verse 51, he's strong. And in verse 55, he's faithful. Mary's song helps us to remember that our worship is not just theoretical, but it's it's a response to God for who he is and what he's done. Now our our worship team, these guys up here will be the first to tell you that uh, they spend a lot of time each week preparing uh, these songs that we sing they spend a lot of time learning chords and rhythms and learning how to work the equipment and and all all sorts of stuff that goes into it technically but they'll also tell you that we make it a point to pray for you every week we make it a point to pray over the songs and to know the God that we are singing to and we are telling you about because our, our, our worship isn't just singing, our worship isn't just an emotional response, but our worship is giving worth to God for who he is and what he's done. Check out what Mary says that he has done for her. That's, that's, that's the second part of what this song helps us to remember, that we respond to God for what he's done. Mary says the things that, that God has done for her are great. What has he done for Mary? The same thing he's done for you and me today. He's shown her grace. He has shown her grace. Mary, the small town girl, the peasant girl, who in the world's estimation, she's not much. She's from Nazareth. Never heard of it. Never heard of her. Nobody. But not in God's eyes. God says, Mary, you're you're the favored one. You're a favored one. You're highly favored in my eyes. I'm going to use you to bring about my plan for humanity, my plan for salvation, my plan to redeem people and bring people to myself so that they can know me. Mary, I'm going to use you to bring that about. Mary received the same grace that we are extended today from God. Her worship was authentic. Her worship was a response to that grace that she received and the God that she served. Mary was able to worship through some some what might have been some pretty devastating circumstances. Think about Mary's Christmas season. If it, that's the first Christmas season, right? She's going through the same thing that you and I are going through. You got the coming of Jesus for sure. And, you know, we know it's coming every year, but it still feels a little bit chaotic, right? Still feels a little bit like out of the blue, out of nowhere. At least to me, that's, that's how it can be sometimes. And then she, she's dealing with the chaos. She's dealing with all the trappings of family and travel, but she is able to make it through and worship through this season because of the God in whom she trusted. She was able to respond with thanksgiving because she was focused on the one who had given her everything. Her worship was based on her trusting God and then stepping out on her, on, on her faith in him to do the impossible. Look, Mary didn't leave herself at and out. She put all of her eggs In one basket she said I'm the servant of the Lord let it be to me as you have said to the angel that was her response because of the God that she trusted the God that she worshiped she believed what the angel said that he was able to do the impossible one of the criticisms that's leveled against uh, the church in America and, and affluent churches around the world is that that we're consumeristic, right? That we're all about the, the trappings of church, we're all about the glitz and the glamour, and we're all about the, the experience and, and the trappings of worship. And, and I think I'd have to raise my hand and I'd say I'm, I'm guilty of that. And I think that's a valid criticism. But I also think that we could have so much more. I think that we could have so much more church because when it comes to our worship, we are impoverished, Because we, not because of what we consume, but because of what we hold back. Our worship is just theoretical a lot of times. It's just a response to what we've heard or what we've read or an emotional response to music. But a, a lot of times it's not a response to, to our relationship with God and what he's doing in us and through us. So we, we can't just expect it to happen. We can't just expect to show up in here and Zach and, and the band and Kevin uh, play some songs and lead us in singing, and that's worship. It can be singing. It can be an emotional response, but it's not a response to a God that we know. See, if we don't know the God that we're singing to, it's just empty emotions. It's just singing. But here's the good news for some good news that might have been a little bit heavy he's knowable our God is knowable he said over and over again in scripture that if you will seek me with all your heart you will find me anyone who follows me I will in no way cast out hey if we if we look for him we can know him he's extending grace today faith and relationship with him that's not instant that doesn't just happen overnight but grace is extended to us today that we can initiate that relationship with him. So I guess my question to you is, what are you going to hold back? Mary and Elizabeth didn't leave themselves an escape hatch. They didn't leave themselves an out, but they had to totally trust God that what he said was going was to happen and they're going to be all right. Whatever we hold back from him will hold back our worship. So my question today is, what are you going to hold back?